Everyone deserves a chance in the driver's seat. For GM and Revolt, that means leading the way on the road to an all-electric future and envisioning a world with zero crashes, zero tailpipe emissions, and zero congestion. GM's committed to making EVs accessible for everybody. That means you too. So what are you waiting for? GM's got the keys. You grab the wheel. Learn more about an all-electric future and the 000 initiative at GM.com. GM, everybody in. Welcome to Wow Black, a seriously opinionated podcast, bringing you the real and raw on anything happening while black. If black culture's there, we're there. If you're pissed or empowered, then let's talk about it. Ride with us on this all black everything. Everybody, welcome back to Wild Black. As usual, I'm so glad to have you here with us. I want to start out by just appreciating you, telling you thank you for the support. Um, Week after week, our goal is to bring you content that teaches you, enlightens you, uplifts you, and just puts you in a better space. Maybe even make you laugh and entertain you a little bit. But if there's something that you want to hear us talk about or you have a topic that you want to see come from us, please find us on social media. On Twitter, you can catch us at WildBlackPC. Facebook, you can catch us at Wild Black Podcast. On Instagram, you can find us at Wild underscore Black. Or you could always email us at wildblackpodcast at gmail.com. So don't hesitate to hit us up. Talk to us. We'll talk back to you. But now that that business is done, it's time to jump into Wild Black for today. Now, first things first, Art is not with us today. Today is his anniversary, so he's off someplace with the wife, but that doesn't mean we don't record because we've got information that's got to get out to you. And today's guest, whom I'll tell you about in just a moment, is only in Atlanta for a short time, so we had to jump on this opportunity to talk to her. So, without any further ado, I'll break down our topic. We're talking about how we better understand our roots and heal from the impacts of slavery that's been handed down from generation to generation. So who is our guest today? Our guest is Sharon Leslie Morgan. Sharon is a communications professional and African-American consumer marketing expert, a field in which she helped to establish in the United States and was awarded the D. Park Gibson Award by the Public Relations Society of America. She's also held leadership positions in two multicultural agencies. Some of you will be familiar with Burrell Communications and E. Morris Communications. But be patient, there's more. Sharon has worked in government, both domestic and foreign, Jamaica, France, South Africa. Like she literally has been everywhere. But while in France, and this one, this one tickled me, while in France, she added a new title to her resume, that of acclaimed chef when she opened up her own restaurant, which I'm not going to try to say, but I'm going to ask her to jump in real quick and pronounce the name of her soul food restaurant in France. Bojangles. I thought there was something more to it. No. Bojangle. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, you got it. It's Bojangles. I I probably could have said it. All right. But 
In addition to that, she's also an accomplished writer with several published articles to her credit, as well as an award-winning children's book author. She's also co-authored two books, Gather at the Table, A Healing Journey of a Daughter of Slavery and a Son of the Slave Trade, and Real Women Cook, Building Healthy Communities with Recipes that Stir the Soul, not to mention the author of of her own memoir, Paris in a Pot, Living a Dream in the City of Light. Lastly, Sharon is a member of the National Geological Society, a devoted researcher of African-American history, and the founder and creator of the website OurBlackAncestry.com. Now, we don't normally go that deep in our bios, but she's done so much and accomplished so much, I wanted you to know who she was. So, with no further ado, Sharon, we welcome you to Wild Black. Thank you. I'm really glad to be here. Good. If you don't mind, outside of what I just talked to our listeners about, tell us a little bit about you and why you've done what you've done. Wow. <laughs> uh, the best thing I can say is that I'm a really curious person. And maybe the biggest mistake the U.S. government ever made was giving me a passport. <laughs> Because I have always been interested in people and places and history. And I got involved in being a genealogist when I became a mother uh, at a very young age. Mm -hmm. I was 18. And as many of us do when we become parents, we really think about where we came from. And what we want to give our children. Right. So I grew up in a household with my grandparents, but I realized that I didn't know anybody past my grandparents. I, had ne- I, I knew nothing about them. And that's part of the chain of our history. So I got interested. I picked it up. I put it down over the years because it wasn't like it is today. Right. You had to actually physically go places in order to pick up, to get records and to prove your existence and your family lineage. So there was no there was no ancestry.com there was no DNA there was nothing like that. Right. And because I lived in other countries a lot it was really hard because I wasn't anywhere near any of the places where my family came from. So you were digging into your African American history while you yes. were abroad. Yeah, as much as I could. And it was hard to do right. until ancestry and you know all this <laughs> other stuff came along and then you could do it from anywhere. Right. So that became something about which I was passionate and always worked on no matter what else I was doing to make a living. So I made my living in marketing communications. Right. And I'm pretty lucky now because I was able to retire right. and to devote myself full time to writing and genealogy. So that's what I do now. Right. And I'm living in Macon, Mississippi, and I'm writing a book about one of my ancestors. And I wanted to be in the place where she came from and actually walk in her footsteps. So that's what I'm doing these days. And hopefully I'll be finished with this book sometime next year. That is awesome. I I don't know. I've started trying to look into my family and I can't imagine doing it without the resources I have at my fingertips now. And I'm still not getting all that deep. So I, I couldn't imagine being in a different country without DNA and without the resources that we have today and do as much digging as you did. And you obviously had success because you kept going and you found information. And I want us to talk about a lot of that today. But as our listeners know, we uh, we like to warm people up a little bit here. So we have a segment we call Wild Black Shit. 
That's <laughs> what it is. And it's just a few questions just to talk to you, learn a little bit more about you, and let the listeners hear you. So I'll jump in. We got three questions for you today. The first one is movies. 12 Years a Slave, Django, or Birth of a Nation, and why? Oh, I have to choose my favorite? You absolutely do. I would have to say 12 Years a Slave because it is the most accurate depiction that I have ever seen of slavery, and it is based on a true story. Right. And it was very well made, and the acting was outstanding. It was. And I have forced friends to go and see it. Do you, you want to remain my friend? <laughs> it's a requirement. For it's friendship. a requirement. Do you remember the feeling you had as you walked out of the theater the first time you saw it? Anger. Yeah. And I, I asked the first time because I assume, much like me, you've probably seen it multiple times. Probably own it and watch it with some regularity. All of the above. Yeah. But when I first saw it, I had read the book more than once before. And I was really curious about how it was going to turn out on the screen. Right. And when I saw it, why is it that when you see a movie like that, the first person that you see is always a white person when you go in the bathroom? <laughs> like, there should be warning like, signs man, after a movie You know, like right. <laughs> so, anger. Gotcha. Did it subside and turn into anything else at any point? I have that feeling often mm -hmm. because of the genealogical research right and because i can apply those stories directly to my family right that they went through those experiences it makes it an even bigger emotional response i can, I can so see yeah that. i kind of go up and down but i have managed as we talk you'll understand when we start really talking about healing right you'll understand how you turn that anger into something productive yeah, I think that's something that a lot of us need to need to hear and understand better. I think that with what we see happening in the country, there is a lot of anger. And right now that anger is not fueling anything. It's just angry because we're angry. So when I saw 12 Years a Slave, I walked out angry, just like you. Um, but I, I think it was probably a bit different type of anger because with you knowing your history, you could think back to specific even names of people who have been in those situations. Me, I have to just sit back and, and think to myself, I'm sure that my great, great, great something went through that, but I don't know his or her name. So I can't assign a face to that. I just walk out angry because it happened. So that's something that I'm looking forward to, like really diving into today and learning more about how we can find out our people's and our ancestors' real names. What were they like? Well, I have something for you, honey. Where were they? I can't wait. I can't <laughs> wait. All right, second question. You've traveled to a ton of historic sites, right? Historic civil rights sites. Of all the ones you've been to, regardless as to where, which one affected you the most? And what was that effect? The Lowndes County Interpretive Center in Lowndes County, Alabama. Okay. My father came from Montgomery, he grew up with his grandparents until he came to Chicago. Okay. His grandparents were actually enslaved, and I actually met his grandmother, who would be my great-grandmother, right. when I was a baby, so I wasn't really aware of it. Right. But within my lifetime, there was a living person who had been enslaved. Right. So when I went to the Lowndes County Interpretive Center, which is run by the National Park Service, mm -hmm. 
And there's a wonderful film about the civil rights movement. I mean, it's a really good place to go. It's very informative. Uh, so I appreciated the experience, but it was another thing that made me angry mm -hmm. because Lowndes County is where my people were enslaved, where my paternal ancestors were enslaved. Right. So I can envision people camped out on Bloody Sunday with the Voting Rights March that went from, this out, from the Edmund Pettus Bridge to Montgomery. Right. So I can visualize that because that's, that's where my people lived. That is what they did. That is the fight that they went through in order to be able to vote. And I got angry because of that, like seeing 12 Years a Slave. Right. It's like it is a, a visceral, um, you're getting an, a reminder of what happened. And your first reaction is to be angry because it was awful. It's, it's, it almost scares me to, to hear your reaction to that because it makes me feel like there's a bit of protection in, in the ignorance that so many of us have, right? Again, I can't put a name or a face, so I can't make it quite as personal as you can. And I already feel so bad about it, right? Without knowing this person's name who's related to me who went through this, I already have this anger and I already feel this sadness. I, I feel like even knowing more, as bad as I want to, like it's going to create even more feelings, deeper emotions, more anger or more empathy, right? I, I don't know which way it's going to go. It it's actually gives, it gives you more focus right. because I am doing something specifically for somebody that I mm. know. So my dedication to doing genealogy and to being involved in, in civic affairs, mm -hmm. in being so passionate about why people have to vote, it is because I have great-grandparents who fought for me to have this right, and I right. can give you their names. They fought Tom for you, and, and now Rhoda you're fighting Leslie for them. worked from sunup to sundown, were treated horribly, right. and they still fought for that right. And shame on me if I, can't, if I don't go out and use it. Say their names one more time. Tom and Rhoda Leslie. That's amazing. So it focuses, it makes your anger. You can focus it on something very specific. Mm -hmm. I am doing this for you. That's when I awesome. said I'm writing this, this book in Mississippi, right. I am doing this for Betty Wharf, who was my great-great-grandmother. Right. And I can say her name, and I know the story of her life. So I am in this town attempting to do some really big things right. in changing the paradigm for how things work there. Right. You know, and I I'm do. living there. I've adopted this as my home. I'm not planning to move. That's awesome. So our, our third question, what do you love most about life while black? We what a, I admire most is our creativity and resilience. Right. Because everywhere I turn in doing this research, that is what I find. My Mississippi ancestress, Betty Wharf, mm -hmm. had 17 children with a nephew of her master. Wow. 17. Over a 38-year period. Wow. When I think about that, that's a long time and that's a lot of kids. That is. What kind of emotion was involved in their relationship? Were they in love? Right. Did he rape her 17 times? I right. mean, what really happened? I wasn't there. Right. In the course of my research, I found a court testimony. At State Farm, we're committed to uplifting black futures. 
In collaboration with organizations like 100 Black Men and National Urban League, State Farm provides high school students with the opportunity to learn and apply best practice strategies for saving and investing, all while offering academic support, life skills, and exposure to college access programs to prepare these students for life after high school. Check out 100blackmen.org and nul.org to donate and learn more. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Where she was asked, why did you have all these children with this white man? Mm -hmm. She said, he was my master. I could not help it. Was that love? What's love got to do with it? Not much is what it sounds like. Yes. Wow. So those are the kinds of stories. That's just one. I mean, I have lots of them now. But it is it. important to me to name the names right. so we can honor them. And I feel that we empower ourselves by honoring our ancestors. Right. If they were strong enough to survive what they did, we must be strong enough to look at it and to use that as inspiration for making this world a better place. That's a true. We, I guess when you think back, there's a lot of conversation now about how bad things are for us under this current administration, these current socioeconomics. And true enough, right? I, I do think that things are bad. They're not just bad, honey. <laughs> <laughs> They're awful. This is ooh. But I can't help when I think, when I compare it to what people went through then, like actually dealing with slavery, I don't feel like it's that bad. Like they survived that. So it gives me the confidence to know that we should survive this, that we should be able to make this better some kind of way. What do you think? Yeah, we should. Absolutely. <laughs> but look at this. People are people are enslaved today. True. True. Black people are in prison. Right. In record numbers. Right. And you know that it is legal. Slavery is legal for a person who is yes. convicted. Yes. So how many million people are in jail now that are black? Too many for me so to So we haven't gotten past slavery yet. That's true. And okay. it's not just this country. Other countries are incarcerating black men at a higher rate than This is not other. just right. an American That's problem. True. That's right. I mean, you look at what's happening with the right all over Europe. That's right. That was, was like going to bring that up. Exactly. The, a change of paradigm here. Right. I think that there's a huge amount of fear that white men are afraid they're not going to be in power anymore. Yeah. And they are reacting in horrific ways. I've told so it people, is a very dangerous time, right? but it is a time not to give up, not to stop looking ahead, not to give up hope. Right. It is like this is the time when being active is going to be more important than maybe ever before. Absolutely. With what you see happening now, and I love your statement about the fact that white men see this power struggle, right? They see it They see it flipping. They're watching the browning of America, so to speak, where the demographics of black and brown people are beginning to outpace and are outpacing in some communities in some states um, the population of Caucasian or white Americans. So there's this fight back. So with what you see happening today, do you see it more closely aligned to the civil rights struggle or to apartheid? If you look at apartheid as... A, a civil rights struggle, mm -hmm. you know, they're all pretty much equivalent. But I never, I don't really think of them as human rights, as, mm -hmm. as civil rights struggles. Right. They're human rights struggles. Very true. It is not just for the right to vote. Right. It is for the, the very 
recognition of the very essence of your humanity and that the crimes that have been committed are crimes against humanity. Slavery was a crime against humanity. Jim Crow, crimes against humanity. The lynchings, the thousands of lynchings, the bodies that we will never find. I mean, this is like, this is, these are crimes against humanity. Right. Yeah, I won't. I won't push back on that at all. I completely agree. And there, it's and we're we're talking about historical ones, but they're still happening very much. They're still so happening every now. single day, right? Half of them, are, not even half of them, reported. Some of them get a lot of news buzz, and we talk about via hashtags. But they're a whole. We lot have more trained our children. If you have a son, mm-hmm. you've trained your child by a certain age mm-hmm. how they must behave in public. Absolutely. Because yeah. you're trying to save his life. Because right. you don't know. He, if he makes one false move, right. that could be the end. Well, it's gotten past that. He doesn't even have to make one false move. Not this guy own. got killed in Texas. In his own home. In his own home right. by a policeman. Right. The tra- travesty of that is incredible. You don't have to. You don't have to go out in the street anymore. Right. The argument that if you remain, you wear calm a hoodie. I mean, you right. can't. It's, right. You eat Skittles. You are no longer safe in this country. Anywhere. I shouldn't even say you are no longer safe. Technically, we probably we have never, never have been, been safe. Right. But now the news cameras are talking about it, at least to some degree. But the way I we talked about um, both the the brother who was murdered in um, Texas this past week. We talked about him on the last show. And we played a clip from his mother. And the commentary around it was, I don't know how she held it together. I don't know how she managed that anger to the point to have a comprehensible interview. She didn't stutter. She didn't But that's what we do because we have been through so much. And we immediately stand up and forgive and have composure And have a grip on what's supposed to happen next. And that's a really, we've developed that skill over centuries. Surviving slavery, that took an incredible amount of fortitude. So that's how we're able to do that. And I'm just tired of the immediate apology. It's like, I want to see something happen. Right. Saying I'm sorry ain't enough. Singing Amazing Grace ain't enough. It's like something has to happen. Right. It's so funny because like, as I'm talking to you, like every time you open your mouth and say something, it takes me to all these questions firing in my head. Like I, I need three of me right, to be able to get all these questions out because like you're just dropping so much what I consider to be like amazing information. So you were just talking about our ability to survive and how there's probably been some genetic passing that down across centuries because we we learn how to behave and then we teach our children how to behave. And at some point, it becomes an innate part of who we are as to how to behave and how to survive. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that I think part of that leads to why we are um, so forgiving, why we can be so understanding. I think part of that turns into why we are so creative because we're finding ways to create our own legacies in and around what's built around us, right? I, I've said a couple of times in this world, in this country, um, that we as black people live in the world of white people, but they don't live in our world typically. Oh, not at all. Right, and there is a sad feeling associated with that, but there's also a power because I do feel like I can survive anywhere at this point, or I can come into your world and survive. I'm in my world and I'm surviving, but I seriously doubt that if I were to invite the white people in my world or in my life to the world of the African-American man or woman, 
I don't think that they would survive. I don't think that they would make it. I don't think I have that been able to live all over the world. Right. I have been to places where I don't really know anybody. Right. I went to South Africa and ended up staying there for five years because I did not want to come back to the United States. Right. And Mr. Mandela had been elected president. So I went there immediately after he was elected because I, I was so pissed off at my home country. Mm -hmm. And I did not know if I wanted to stay. Mm -hmm. And something magical made it possible so that I could stay. I immediately got a job, mm -hmm. a really good job. And I was able to do some incredible things because I'm really adaptable. Right. And I think when I said creativity and resilience right. is what I admire the most. Right. That's what that is. I mean, we're creative about how do you survive? Right. Absolutely. You know, how do you get through this life? How do you make it when your child gets killed? How do you keep living? You know, so we find ways. The fortitude. We are strong. We are creative. We are resilient. We have so many assets and attributes that we don't recognize in ourselves. Right. So when our kids are out in the street shooting each other, right. why are they doing that? Because they've lost that hopefulness. They've lost that sense of the future having any value. And that is what is a shame. Parents are not being parents. You know, there's really something wrong with this. And it has got to change because if right. our young people don't invest in a in a future for us you know then we might as well give up right i think you um i think you hit you hit it on the head when you said value and i think that through our history and through everything that's happened to us so many people lost hope and when you lose hope you do lose that value and then when you have children and you're in that mind state you create children who never start with hope and who never have value so they never even recognize that it's missing and they just function but there operate. are still enough of us mm -hmm. that are not at that level of hopelessness. I completely agree. Completely so when agree. women in Chicago, I'm from Chicago, mm -hmm. when I see black women in Chicago, in Roseland, they are marching the streets mm -hmm. and saying, oh, no, we're not putting up with this. Mm -hmm. That's what's, that is going to help our continuance. That's going to help make this change. Can we turn around what's happening to us? Let me let me be more specific. In the things that we can control, meaning ourselves and our communities, are there enough of us empowered and informed to help sway what's happening in our own communities, to help us as a people internally? Yeah. What do you think needs to happen? You can bitch and moan every day right. and you can complain and be a victim or you can stand where you are. And right. do something. Right. So what I said, I have packed up everything and I have moved to Macon, Mississippi. Right. This is a town of 2,600 people. Right. And I believe that that's a small enough universe so that I can make a change. It right. is also a majority black community. Right. And I have almost instantly been able to meet people, mm -hmm. make friends, get involved. My first act was joining the NAACP. Right. But being able to integrate myself into this community, because it's my ancestral community, that means a lot. Because people are listening to me, because I may not have grown up here, right. but my family was enslaved here. And right. I can show you the road by the plantation at the cotton field where they used to have to pick cotton. Right. So I belong here. Right. And it has been a very smooth transition. And I am looking forward to doing some really wonderful things. Right. Because the same problems that exist in Chicago exist in smaller ways in this town. Right. 
and I'm not going to put up with it. But I can't change it in Chicago, but I found my spot. Right. Where at this point in my life, this is something that I can do. Right. And everybody needs to find that spot. You have to stand where you are and do what you can. Right. If, if and it's enough other people, spot, we can do it on a people will start holding hands with you. Plus, once you figure it out and get it right here, that's a success strategy that you can then teach others right. to do in their communities. Right. So it may be you and make it Mississippi. And then there's another 35 people in Chicago. Right. Another 27 in Detroit. And the 15 in Atlanta, and we, maybe we can turn this thing around. So talk to me about, on your journey through genealogy, what have you run into that has been either the most hurtful, hopeful, or helpful for you personally? Hurtful would be finding the, the secrets. Mm-hmm. What do you mean? Finding that my grandfather's uncle was lynched mm. and that we'll never find his body. Right. So that hurts a lot because I'd like to honor him. I know his name. Right. But all the coroner's records are destroyed after 50 years. Right. So you won't ever, I'll never find it. I'll never find any, any other evidence. Is that a pretty standard practice or was it yeah. just, okay. No, I mean, that's standard practice. Gotcha. Part, I, Part of the thing about the records is that black people were not considered human beings. Right. They were property. Right. So when you look at records, you're looking at property records. And that is another, that's a hurtful thing as well. Do they well. say property records? Do you see words that yeah, they're chattel. remove the we were chattel. Oh, that's hurtful. Yeah. So you find us, we, we're not in a census as human beings until 1870. Right. So... And there's such limited information. Like if you look at a slave schedule, mm -hmm. there are no names. It'll say one black female, 24. Mm -hmm. A black female who's 24 years old. No name. Right. And I think that was done purposefully because somebody like me would come along one day looking. Right. So this is a way of hiding it. I really feel that way. And the more you see these records, the more you feel that. I don't know if I'm ready to see them. The first one that you see fucks you up. I, 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 I'm sitting, I just, I can't fathom it. After that first one, after seeing 12 Years a Slave, you go back and see it again because it <laughs> okay. makes you stronger. I get that. Okay, so I that's what that. happens. Okay. So it's a journey, I mean, that's it, difficult. And that's another, that's one of those hurtful things. Helpful has been discovering information that's like, wow, no wonder I do things that way. You find somebody whose personality was so stubborn, mm -hmm. like my Mississippi ancestress, Betty. Mm -hmm. She, when the white man died, she buried him. Mm -hmm. And then his family put her off of the land that she was living on because they said he was a lifelong bachelor with no heirs. And therefore, she had no right to be there. And she had been renting... She was renting the land. Right. They wouldn't accept her rent. It's like, get out. Right. She sued their estate. She's fought them for six years, mm -hmm. which is a really amazing thing to do at this time. This is like the end of the 1800s. Wow. And she ends up being, they give her $125, and it's like, get the hell out of town. 
I'm I'm amazed at the fact that she was able to fight fight them legally. Me too. Right. That's that's astonishing. All me in too. It's not, yes, absolutely. So that was helpful. It's right. like it is possible. It was possible. Maybe you just have to be stubborn enough. Right. If she did, maybe it you got to find the white, white, the right white lawyer. Right. I mean, whatever it is. Wow. But she did that, and I've seen the the records of the court case. So That's that helps me because it's like, yeah, you know, and I'm a pretty stubborn person. So now I know where I get this personality trait. <laughs> and now I know that these things, they're possible. We're in 2018. Right. It's more possible now than there definitely really than it been, was right? back then. Right. That's a hell of a story. Hopeful is that we made it. They made it through that. We're going to make it through this. Amen to that. Amen to that. Okay. So we've, we've talked a little bit about like your history and going into your family. And I've read the book, Gather at the Table. So what, what I'd love for you to do for the listeners is just take a second and kind of tell them a little bit about that book and that story for you. I, because of my genealogical work, mm -hmm. I got invited to participate in something that is called Coming to the Table. Mm -hmm. And it is an organization of people who are the descendants of slaveholders who want to connect with the descendants of the people that their families enslaved. Right. So at first I was very resistant to this idea. It was at Eastern Mennonite University in Harrisonburg, Virginia. Mm -hmm. And they asked me to come. Why would I go to Harrisonburg, Virginia, where I've never been before That's with a, a bunch of it's white a very, people? Very, very small who, place. Yes, exactly. With some Mennonites, which I'm equating in my mind with the, the Amish, Amish with the right. long dresses <laughs> and the horse buggies. <laughs> and talk about slavery with people whose ancestors could have enslaved my ancestors. Why would I do that? But they convinced me to come. And it was a transformative experience because I actually had an opportunity to confront living white people who are willing to take ownership of what happened in the past. Right. And they are willing to have this conversation and they are willing to do something about it. Right. And that was like, wow. So I learned in workshops and classes there about a model for healing, how to heal historical harm, mm -hmm. because what's happened is that we've been traumatized mm -hmm. and we have to address that trauma. It's like having PTSD. Right. And what do you do? What kind of therapy do you use for it? Right. So those are the kinds of things that I have learned subsequently. A person that I met the first time that I went to EMU was Tom DeWolf. Mm -hmm. And you all did not hit it off. And we did not hit it off immediately. <laughs> That's right. His ancestors were slave traders and they were based in Rhode Island and they transported at least 10,000 people right. over many, many years uh, from Africa. They kidnapped them in Africa. They left many of them in Cuba. Mm -hmm. They traded rum. They were the, whole, the essence of what the triangular slave trade was all about. Right. And Tom and I decided that we were going to live out this lesson that we had learned about how do you heal historical harm. Right. And one of the things that you do is you confront the history. So we made a map and we tried, we got in a car and we drove 6,000 miles in 30 days. That is a long way. It is a long way with somebody you don't right. know. Right, you don't know. Wow. And I think my wife and I would struggle you know, to really? drive that far. We've been married for 18 years. I know. I know. 
we went to That's dedication. We took our genealogies mm-hmm. and we made a map that's made so we could hit places that related to our genealogy. And in each of those places, what could we see that contributed to like a museum, a historic site, something that can that helps us understand the history. Right. And then we ended up writing a book about it. So that's what Gather at the Table is about. And the end of the exercise is that the model really works, mm-hmm. that it is possible to heal from the historical harm from the trauma. And I'm not totally there yet because it's a lifelong thing. Right. I mean, but it, it took was a long a time to get here, step. so it doesn't get fixed right, overnight. Right, exactly. Again, I'm, I'm at that point where, for listeners, I apologize because I think you, you rarely hear me without my next words. So, but there's so much, like I'm, I'm being very honest, very transparent. Like there's so much going through my head with every comment and every question that you answer that I think I'm going str- to struggle a little bit in this one. I just just being honest, because I, I want to ask it all, but I'm trying to, I'm trying to think about the listeners and not think about Vince. Like I'm, I don't want to be too selfish. But you, you talked about the organization, and, and what you said was that when you spent time at Eastern Mennonite University and you began to dig into the healing practices, the first question I have is, you're not there yet. But do you feel different after going through this process? Yeah, very much so. What do you feel? One of the things is that I've been able to focus all the anger that I had. Mm -hmm. There is a productive way to use this. Mm -hmm. And one way that I use that is the reason that I'm in Atlanta. I was here doing a workshop and a presentation for other people. Right. And telling them about my experience and being able to share how do you how do you recognize racism? Right. What is it that's plaguing our society? What can we do as individuals to be able to make a change so that we live in a society that is equitable mm-hmm. and just for everyone? Gotcha. Okay. So when I think about healing. Uh, and please jump in and correct me if this isn't right. When I think about healing, I think about a huge aspect of being able to heal from something is to forgive, right? And so if healing is at least in part dependent upon forgiveness, and then to find our way to forgiveness, we have to understand one another's position. We have to communicate and then we have to find some type of common or mutual ground. And this is, this is just all me and, and the way I think through things. So if, if that's the case, then how do African Americans in this country begin to forgive when they, when they don't know who to go have that conversation with? Like when you went to coming to the table. That's part of what I was saying. It's like mm-hmm. actually meeting contemporary people. Right. They, they did not personally enslave anybody. Right. They're modern people right. who, you know, who live wherever they live and right. do whatever they do. It was their ancestors that did it. Right. But what they have taken responsibility for is that that history is a fact. Right. My ancestors, in fact, did that. And I have a responsibility now to try to make things right by right. making this a better world, by right. getting rid of the racism, by standing up by, you know, for people, by making sure that that our society is equitable right. by doing whatever I can. Right. Just as black people need to stand where you are and do something, right. that's what they're doing. And just being able to see 
a white person accept that responsibility, mm-hmm. that now makes it possible for me to forgive. Right. Does it feel different the moment you you see that happen? Yeah. Because as I was as I was preparing for this and I was talking to different people, there was one theme that kept coming up. And, and I honestly think it's a theme that we don't talk about publicly because we get really mad when someone says to us, well, slavery happened so long ago. Why is it a factor? Right. As, as an African-American man, that statement bothers me. But as I was doing research for this and I was talking to people whom I respect, it came up often right inside of the circle. Were, their point of view was I struggled to believe that having a conversation with someone who technically didn't enslave me and I technically wasn't enslaved in that manner makes me feel any different. And I've heard from people like yourself and a few others that I've talked to that it really, really does. But the masses of us don't have any experience there. So how can you help people to understand that this truly does create a difference in you? Going through this healing process helps. You have to see it to believe it because I didn't believe it. Okay. Okay. It's kind of like, wow, why am I feeling like this? Hmm, This is really interesting. (laughs) When I'm on the road with Tom, it's like I didn't kill him. And there were moments (laughs) when I threatened to do so. When we pulled up the interpretive center in Lowndes County, Alabama, I was shaking and crying because I was so upset about what had happened. And he's like, are you okay? And it's like, no, I'm not okay. I remember the story from before. Yeah. Yeah. And you read it in the book. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and it's like, he said, so what are you feeling now? And I said, one settler, one bullet. And that, that's an expression mm-hmm. from South Africa. It's like if you had killed, if everyone had killed one settler, then South Africa would mm-hmm. never have had apartheid. Right. I'm with you. Okay, so that's how I was feeling about this. And I, he did not say anything. He got real, he was like, Sometimes Whoa. silence is oh, best. Oh, silence is best. <laughs> he got real quiet. I calmed down. And then it was like, I said, okay, I'm ready to go. And he said, okay, so what's going to happen now? I said, I'm going to get out of this car and I'm going to go in that building and get angry again. (laughs) So we had moments like that. Right. And those were healing moments because I got to express myself. That's really how I felt. If I had a gun right now, I could shoot you. Right. Right. And I'm glad I didn't do that because now we're really good friends. But you have those moments and you have to go through. Healing is not easy. It's like when you hurt yourself physically. Right. And you have a wound. It hurts. It bleeds. And then what do you do? You put some triple ointment on it, put a Band-Aid on it. Take some pain. And it takes some time for it to heal. Right. But you have to work with it. You have to nurse it. You have to, you know, fix it. Right. And racism is a wound Mm -hmm. that has never been healed. Slavery is a wound that has never been healed. Right. Slavery built the wealth of the entire Western world. So for anybody to say it has nothing to do with me, it has everything to do with the wealth gap between black and white now. Mm -hmm. It has everything to do with the incarceration rates now. It has everything to do with infant mortality, with maternal mortality, with PTSD in black people. Right. It you know, it's it's it is at the root of all of this. And we have to confront it. We have to address it or it is never going to change. Right. So to, to use the analogy you did about when you hurt yourself or, you, or when you injure yourself. So if I, were to, if I were to break my leg in this very moment, there, there are steps that have to happen before I can Before you can heal. heal. Right. And if, if, I, if I skip the first two steps 
and I jump to the fourth step. You'd probably be crippled for life. Right. I won't heal the right way. Exactly. So that leads to the question, as a people, understanding that we struggle with worth and value, are we ready to go through that healing process knowing, like even you, you had moments where you were hurt, moments where you were angry, moments where you wanted to literally kill the person whom you were healing with. Are we as a society of African-Americans, a nation of black folks, are we ready to go through that process? When, is, when are you going to be ready? But that was my Everybody's next question. Everybody's not going to be ready at the same <laughs> right. time. So and how that, do we do that it? that'll never happen. A hundred percent of everybody is never going to be right. at there at, the, at one moment. Right. So I think that what happens is that you have this cumulative effect. Mm -hmm. So you do something, I do something, everybody do something, and it adds up. And it's like we call it in our book, we call it ripples on a pond. Right. You throw a rock in that water and it makes these ever-expanding ripples. Right. So if you do something, I do something, somebody else does something, it, the, it aggregates so that change happens. Right. And if enough people do, and I believe there are enough people mm -hmm. to do, one person did, Nelson Mandela, look at what happened in South Africa and what right. he did. And he had his posse with him. But that one time, person it, it made happened. a big difference. Then he had this group of people. Right. Then that whole society changed. So your point of view is the healing starts with you. With you and, as an individual. And then there's another you and yes. another you. And, and every me. time there's success. It's my son and his wife. Right. It's my grandchildren. Right. You know, it, right. and it's then there, then it's their friends. Then right. it's our cousins. Then it's, and that the circle is ever expanding. Right. I can't wait to see that happen. Me right? too. And, 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 like I, Hurry just up, y'all, because I don't have that many talking, years it's left. It's happening. <laughs> That you have that many years left? Well, I don't know. My enslaved grandmother, Rhody Leslie, she lived to 104. So I might be around to see it. My grandmother's turning 94 next month. Ta -da. No, 95. 95. There is hope. Next month. There is hope. We can, we, can, we can change the world. What does a healed society of African Americans look like? Well, it's not just going to be a healed society of African Americans because mm -hmm. we have to live in this universe. So it's right. like a healed society is one in which people are able to be different. They'll be able to be whoever they are mm -hmm. and to be respected right. and appreciated for that. Right. And I like the difference. Right. You know, I like different people doing different things, right. having different interests, being different colors, you know, just being a, an egalitarian society. Right. What it looks like for us is that we have to regain our self-respect mm -hmm. and our self-appreciation. Uh, so for, that's the part of you individually. You have to go inside of yourself, and mm -hmm. you have to do things for yourself, and then you are of benefit to the community. Mm -hmm. And then we have to think of the African concept of Ubuntu, which is I am because you are. We mm. are a community. We can't, we're so interdependent. We can't live without each other. Right. It's like an organism. Right. And we need all of it in order for it to function properly. Right. So we need to get to that point. And when we do, that is what healing will look like. Right. And you'll know it. There'll be this big sigh of relief because it's like, whew. Because we're feeling the love and right. we're feeling the appreciation and, right. you know, we're honoring the ancestors and, you know, we're doing things so that we are having productive, fruitful lives and our children are healthy. They're not shooting each other. And we are educating ourselves and appreciating our families and, you know, doing healthful things that right. that we've 
been many instances stopped doing. Okay, so I apologize, listeners. I told a lie. I'm going to ask one more question on healing. <laughs> um, so, Sharon, I, as as I went through Gather at the Table, it brought something to me that I had never thought about before. And that was, like, I've thought about the concept of what does healing look like for us before. And, and any time I think about racism, and I think a lot of us do this, we internalize that. We think about black people because we are black people. But one thing that I picked up as I read through your book was that healing has to happen on both sides, right? It is Healing is not just a function of African-American life when it comes to slavery. Right. That white people have to heal from that, too. So what can you tell our listeners, because they are primarily African-American, about how to be patient and allow the white people in and around them to also heal? Because, like— I don't think we truly get there until both sides get there. No, that's who booked you. Everybody's got to be in the game. Right. It was really part of this lesson in my own healing journey. It was hard for me to accept that everybody mm -hmm. was wounded, not just black people. Right. The white people who were the slave masters, they were wounded, too, because they had to twist their psyche around mm -hmm. to be able to accept the horrible things they were doing to other human beings. Right. And because of my own, my personal spiritual beliefs, that had to be horrible. Right. Drug use, laudanum was the drug of the time, right. was an epidemic, like opioids are now. Right. Uh, alcoholism. People losing their minds. They went through a lot of changes, too, because you do that to somebody else. You abuse somebody like they abused us, and it takes its toll on you. And that was hard for me to accept. Right. I mean, I, but I it's think like, wow, you know. When you dehumanize someone else, you dehumanize, you dehumanize yourself. yourself. Right. Yeah. And I, I, think we, I think we either forget that or ignore that a lot. We, it's not something we really think about. Right. It's like we just we think about our own pain. Yeah. So you don't really think about the pain of the other person. So it took a while for me to get to, okay, yeah, okay, like, yeah, I can, yeah, they were in pain, too. I know you had to be moments like, listen, yeah, I don't even like, care hey, about your pain right exactly. now. Exactly. <laughs> but now I'm a stronger person. You've evolved. You're I right. have evolved substantially. So, yeah, I can get to that. Okay. All right, so I want to I wanna move over into the, the DNA mapping and genealogy portion for a second because as we talk about healing and forgiveness, right, uh, an important part of that is knowing your story. We need to understand what we're healing from, who we're forgiving, and that's where understanding our heritage can help. So for someone who is trying to get there, who's, who's interested in understanding their family history, their genealogy, their heritage, how do they do it? How do they start? By doing the paper research. <laughs> By going back like, to know, the old-fashioned you know, way. This is, this is the Netflix generation. <laughs> I know, but there's no way around right. it. It's like people have taken this DNA thing mm -hmm. and just gone crazy with it. This, it so they're just answer. testing it's everybody everywhere. Everything. And being the paranoid black person that I am, I have issues with just willy-nilly doing stuff. And privacy concerns. Giving up are, my there's DNA. Issues with that right there's now. a lot of yeah. issues with it. So the first thing that I would advise is reading the book, The Social Life of DNA by Alondra Nelson. And it explains all the DNA services and what this means to you as an African-American person. Right. So I think that that's really important to understand. Can you do me one favor? Because what just happened is you said that and someone said, oh, my God, let me get a pen. Okay. And now they've got the pen. The Social Life of DNA by Alondra Nelson. 
And it okay. came out, I want to say, two years ago. Okay. But it's a really excellent book. So what I do with the DNA, if I have a specific, I don't want a general DNA analysis. Mm -hmm. So I've never personally taken a test. Mm -hmm. I have I think it's more specifically, fun It is. Right. And they play on it being fun. They play on you push a button on Ancestry and you immediately have your whole family true. And right. that just doesn't happen. That is not the case. No, not at all. So I specifically wanted to know, in the case of Betty, my Mississippi ancestress, where she came from. Mm -hmm. So I did a direct line female test. Right. Because the men are usually going to be white men. They were the slaveholders. Right. So you look at my complexion and you know there's a white guy right. in there somewhere. Right. So when I did a direct line, Betty's daughter's daughter's daughter, mm -hmm. a first cousin of mine, we did a test on her and Betty came from East Africa, mm -hmm. probably Mozambique, probably the Makua tribe. Mm -hmm. I had a specific question and I took a specific test to get that answer. I took a test to determine who was the father of my Leslie grandfather, and I thought the man's name was Leslie. So I found a descendant of the white Leslie, mm -hmm. and I had him take a DNA test, and I had Tom's great-grandson take a test, male, 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 direct line. And if those two match, the white guy and my cousin, then we'll know that this was Tom's father. Right. And that did not work out. <laughs> it, the DNA didn't match. Okay. But when I put the DNA up on Jed Match, mm -hmm. it matched with a, a, the name McCaskill. Mm -hmm. So then I had to go back and research where did this McCaskill come from? It was a perfect match. So a dead end was not a dead end. It wasn't because now the DNA is online. Right. It matched with some with this name. So then I'm hunting for who's the McCaskill during slavery. Angus McCaskill was a slaveholder in Lowndes County, immediately near where physically he, my great-grandparents were. Mm -hmm. His brother, Peter, was the overseer of the plantation they were on. So the father of my great-grandfather, Tom Leslie, was either Angus or Peter McCaskill. Mm -hmm. And DNA proves that. Gotcha. But I had a specific question, a specific thing I wanted to prove. And I, that's when I think that the DNA works best. So... If you want to jump in and do some of the DNA mapping, it's fun. It's ex it's an experience. But if yeah. you want to get truly into the weeds and learn, you have to come up with specific questions. Yes, and take the test that is appropriate to that. Okay. When you take the autosomal test, which is the one that is most popular and the cheapest, mm -hmm. you take that test and it gives you results. But those results come from both sides, mother, father. Right. You can't. A lot of times, you can't figure out where it's. Where it, where it came from. Right. You'll get back a list of matches. You may get a thousand matches back. Mm -hmm. Who are these people? Right. And you may never figure out exactly how they're related to you unless you have a family tree and you can trace a family tree. Well, their name is this and it matches with this name and that matches with that. So you still, you have to go back and do some paper research. Even hearing it, it sounds daunting. It is daunting, it, it, but it's the most exciting like thing I have ever done. Thus, I have been doing it all of my life, and I am still not finished. So for, for the people who are sitting back, they, they just heard us say it's daunting, and they're thinking, I can do anything. Um, but the reality is they're working full-time, they have a family. 
when we say daunting, no, when you say daunting, what does that really mean? Like, if I wanted to go out there and get real about finding out who I am, how much time am I, am I talking about needing to carve out? Can you even quantify it? Uh, I have clients that I work with, mm-hmm. and I've been able to get pretty quick results because I know what I'm doing. I actually started Our Black Ancestry, my website, mm-hmm. because I wanted to help other people be able to do this. Right. It is expensive to hire people to do genealogy research for you. Right. But I wanted it to be a compendium that would help people as best as possible. In my mind, I actually wanted to be the black version of Ancestry.com. But I just never could raise enough money to be able to have the technology that I need to make that happen. So that's still a dream of mine. It's like I would really like to make that happen because there are specific things that are unique to our research Mm -hmm. where if I had the ability, so you push a button... I'd be able to show you things that could make your research much easier. Right. So until that happens, I can usually take a client and with 10 hours of research, be able to get you at least in the general direction of where your slaveholder was. And that's only because I've been doing this for so long. But that is so scary to me. Knowing? Yeah, it's it's like there's a huge part of me who, like, I, I, I truly want to know. But it's almost one of those things is like now that now that we're sitting across from each other and I'm hearing that in 10 hours you can have. If you really devote yourself to it, right. I can do it in 10 hours. Right. It probably would take you about 30 hours. <laughs> or 30 days. Or 30 days. Yeah. <laughs> or longer. But it, yeah. Like but there's, if you there's something know, intimidating about that to me. But why? It's such an important part of I your life. I'm just feeling it. I can't even explain. I just it feels somewhat intimidating to think that. At least a portion of the answers that I truly do want, like everything in me wants these answers. But there is something intimidating about getting the answers because then I have to process the information. I have to do something with the information. And I've learned that anything that we learn, anything that we take into our bodies changes us. Right. I have crossed the Rubicon. I can believe it. And... It is really okay on the other side. It's like, I want to. In spite of these awful things that I have found out, as I said earlier, it has strengthened me as a person. Right. I I have bigger dreams. Right. One of the themes that we use for our black ancestry is that you are the dream. Mm -hmm. Discover the dreamers. They dreamed about you. They lived so we could live. I have a t-shirt, and I don't remember exactly what it says, but... It's, it says, I think I am my ancestors' dreams. Like, yeah, I, I you love are. the thought about that. And, and it's right. so true, right? Because if you think about us today, each one of us spends time thinking, like, I wonder, dreaming about who my children will become. And yeah. my wife and I have conversations about feeling like we're finally in a position to create, like, real legacies so that yeah. my children, or at the very least, my grandchildren will have information, access. And capital so they can do some things. Absolutely. And think about this. During slavery, women were encouraged to have babies. Mm-hmm. And those babies were often taken away from them and sold by the age of four. Damn. 
because that was the age at which you could work. Imagine putting your child to work in a cotton field at the age of four. Four years old. Four years old. Sold away, never to be seen again. My ancestress Betty was sold at nine. And she was taken from Virginia to Mississippi. She never saw her mother or her grandmother again. And she talked about them. She knew who they were. Mm. Women were encouraged to have babies. When emancipation came in 1865, you have all of these women coming out of slavery in their 30s, their age of 30s. Where are their children? Where are their sisters, their brothers? Where are their mothers and their fathers? We will, may never know those answers, right. but we owe it to the children we have today. I owe it to Julian and Violet, who are my grandchildren, that they have a legacy, that, they, that I can give them as much as I know mm-hmm. about this experience. And that is going to make them strong, too. And just like you, that is right. leaving them a legacy. I sit here and, and I think, like, how would it feel if after this interview I got up? And I went home, and when I walked in the home, in my house, my children were gone. Right. And I didn't know where they were, and I would never see them again. Yeah. Like that is like when you, and when to you think live about it that through way. that, to live, mm. to live, to not kill yourself. Like it, it's almost worse because I'm sitting here having that moment now where I think I could go home and maybe they're not there. But the reality is, people who lived during that time, it happened. They to lived. Them. They lived with that fear every day, knowing every that they could, today could day. be the day. And they lived after it happened. Yeah. They came out of the field and their kids were gone. That is. And like they it's, lived. It's unimaginable. And they made us. Yeah. Like the way families were broken at that time. And for the people to still survive, because I, I'll tell anyone, like, I truly do feel like my source of strength in this world comes from two places, God and my family. And if my tie to either one of them is broken, I feel like I would break. Yes. But to not break and to survive and on top of that, have to get up the very next morning and do this backbreaking work while you are mentally struggling, like the the resilience and the strength of our ancestors has got it. it how we do you have to that? honor that yeah. by being strong people as well. We cannot succumb to the hopelessness. Right. We cannot not vote. We cannot Say that again. let our families fall apart. We can't let our children keep running in the streets and shooting each other. Right. If they did that, if our ancestors did that, we can do this yeah. and we have to. And if our ancestors had behaved that way, we wouldn't, we even wouldn't be, be here. here. Yeah. So we, you, we've mentioned our black ancestors ancestry a couple of times. Um, can you tell me a little bit more about how it works and how someone could reach out and understand what you do and what you could do for them? Okay. Our website is www.ourblackancestry.com. You go to the website, there's a tutorial. It explains to a person who has never done research before, how do you do it? Right. And then it is broken down into uh, resource links. So if you're doing research in Alabama, you go Mm -hmm. to the Alabama page and it'll list all the things that you can go to in Alabama Mm -hmm. to get things. Where do you get a birth certificate? Where do you get a death certificate? Mm -hmm. Uh, Where do you look up where are the plantations? As much information as I have is loaded on that site. Okay. If you're Mississippi, wherever, I, right. and I try to keep it loaded with current information. So it's the only place that is specific for African-American research mm-hmm. where at least you can get the links and know where to go. 
There is a list of 6,000 people who have taken DNA tests. So they've put up their DNA matches. So if you join the site, you get a lot of things there for free. But you have to join the site, and this is for privacy reasons. Right. So that the DNA list, like I said, there's 6,600 and some people. Mm -hmm. So they've listed their their DNA kits, who they tested with, and you'll see their surname, and you may be able to match on Mm -hmm. DNA. So since I've gone through 23andMe, I can join the site, upload my DNA, and join that library of people. Yeah, you can tell where it is because you... You go out in order to actually get your DNA test, right. but at least you can make a link inside our black ancestry. Okay. There's a list of thousands of people who have put up their surname, whether they've taken DNA test or not. Mm-hmm. And so you can look at a surname, a location, and be able to decide whether or not that's somebody that's of interest that could mm-hmm. be related to you. Mm-hmm. And you'll have the researcher's email address so that you can communicate with them. And we've had a lot of people that have matched that way. Right. And and I know um, there will be listeners and people who won't know what a surname is. Your last name. Okay. Thank your family you. name. I'm so okay. No, no, you're good. I just, I want to make sure that right. everyone gets it and can actually move and act on this information. Right. Okay. So we have that. And this, so that's the website, mm-hmm. and it is a membership site, and it costs twenty five dollars a year. Okay. That is two dollars a month. Right. It, that it, is it half is the price expensive. of a cup of coffee. Look, not even half <laughs> if you go to Starbucks. You, really? So it is worth it. And if I can get enough members on this website, mm-hmm. I'll have enough money for the technology I need, so we can be the BlackAncestry dot com. Right. So you'll be able to push a button, and you won't have to do as much work as I'm suggesting. Clap it up! Clap it up! Okay, so now the other aspect is that we have a Facebook group. Mm -hmm. So there are 35,000 people in the Facebook group. Right. It's a peer community. So if you are having a problem with with research, Mm -hmm. like, what does this DNA test mean? Or... What does it mean when I see this on a death record? Mm -hmm. Or how do you read the name on the death record? You can put that up and people will immediately respond to you. And that's free. Right. So part of the problem is that there's so much available for free, people don't want to join the website. Gotcha. But we need to get past that. Because people spend $200 a year to join Ancestry. We should be able to afford $25 a year to be part of our black ancestry. You got people who spend more than $25 a day on their lunch. Thank you. Right. So we've, we've talked about a lot of stuff. The moment you sat back and said, I'm going to come up with what became Ancestry.com, what was going on? What led you to that point specifically? Because it was so rewarding for me to do the research. You want to share And I, really, I wanted to share it. And because it is unique, doing research for black people mm-hmm. is different. It's like you can get to 1870, mm-hmm. which is the first census where we are human beings, mm-hmm. and... If you can get to 1870, you're lucky, mm-hmm. but most people can get there. But right. getting past that, that's when the real problems come in. That's when you need to look at wills and deeds and court records and right. stuff that people don't normally go to. So why should everybody have to reinvent the will? Right. I'd like to help people with what I know. Right. So I have. And then you watch Dr. Gates on television Mm -hmm. and they do celebrities. They don't do normal people. Right. So it's kind of like I'm the normal person's finding your roots. I've wondered that many times. Like, how how do I get that service? Right. And it's I know I granted it's probably very expensive to go through someone like that. But people can 
come to your site. They can come and to you can fi- you can figure out you can do this yourself. Right. And the guidance that I offer makes it much more possible for you to do it for yourself. Gotcha. And then when you really do hit a brick wall and you have a problem, mm-hmm. then you can ask a person like me. And you know, I can spend a couple of hours looking for you. Mm-hmm. I have a client that I work with in Chicago, mm-hmm. and it's been the success has been so stunning. It's like he keeps coming up with these new things. So, wow, now that you found this guy, <laughs> okay, now I want to find so-and-so. Okay, so now, now I want to know about this slaveholder. So we've had a really productive relationship for years, and it's kind of like I get my check every month. And he gets his information, and we're good. Everybody's happy. So what it means is he's found enough success that he's now excited about figuring out what's next. Very much so, because it wasn't working out on his own, because he didn't—it's like, well, where do you go and find this? And it's like, I can tell you, but he's like, I got this job. I mean, I can't fly off to Alabama and, you know, go look. But I'm in these areas all the time, so, you know, it's kind of like, well, I'll go look for you. And I know where to find things online that people— that you may not know. I'm sure I don't know. I'm sure I don't know. So you have been dedicated to this type of work for so long. I'm sure that at some point in that process, there have been some big breakthroughs, right? Whether it was the application and use of DNA or or, or some records being uncovered. What do you think needs to happen? Or what, what, no, what do you dream about happening from now to at some point in the future that will help us as a full community get closer to this history that we want so badly? What I wish would happen, one part of reparation for me Mm -hmm. would be that the United States government should make it possible for every black person to be able to have their genealogy done Mm -hmm. so that you would know your family history. And that should be a given. Right. And so that's high up on my list of reparations. Um... That is likely never to happen. <laughs> I would so, agree with that, probably. I'm trying to give a, another possibility by I'd like to build that place. Gotcha. And, you know, and hopefully I will be able to do that eventually. Ooh. But it takes money. It takes expertise. I mean, you're in the IT industry, so you you know. <laughs> Everything takes money. That's one thing well, I've learned. Yeah. <laughs> Every single yeah. thing takes money. Yeah. The, the last question I want to ask before I turn it over to you to tell the people whatever's on your heart to tell them is when you close your eyes and and you dream, and whether it's about your own family or us as a community, what is it that you see? Like, what what does the goal for Sharon look like here? The short goal is that I want to finish the Betty book. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm pretty dedicated to that. The long-term goal, like my big philosophical thing, Mm -hmm. Would would be that I want to live in a society where everyone is treated equally and justly. Right. And if I could wake up and and see that 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 has been achieved. Right. I would be one happy person and I could leave this earth and look down on y'all and smile. Right. Because I will be an ancestor. So I will be watching. I firmly believe that, too. Firmly believe you will, you will be watching. So the the last thing that I want to say is we, in the last year, we've talked a whole lot about the movie Black Panther, right? And we have so many people who are claiming to be from Wakanda. Like, I, I've said it myself. I go home to Wakanda quite often. But the reality is, if we truly want to be able to go home to Wakanda, 
we can create that here and we have some work to do. We can create that society. We have to find our value and we have to find our worth and we have to work together. We have to recreate the community. We have to work inside of unity. We have to remember how to love each other. We have to remember how to respect each other, right? And I think all that is really possible. Like that That's what I see when I close my eyes. It's like I, I see this nation of people and not just black people who found our way to living working and loving together. Mm -hmm. And I think such a big part of that is related to the work that you've done both personally and professionally. So what I, what I want to say to you first off is, is really thank you for digging into your own life that much because what, what I realized from hearing you the first time I heard you speak from reading through the book is that it's the reminder that, that I can. It is truly the reminder that if she did all this and she did it Without the resources I have at my fingertips today, there's absolutely no fucking reason why I'm not doing it. And I'm competitive. So that puts pressure on me personally to go out and do better. Um, so I wanted to say thank you for doing that. Thank you for spending the time there. Uh, secondly, thank you so, so much for making time for this podcast today. Um, and the last thing is... I normally have the last word and I have these insightful things that I might say that pop up throughout the day, but this isn't the time for that. Like I, I can't speak to this topic the way you can. So I, I want you to have the last few moments of our time together to influence, to inspire, to help people go from where they are to where they should be. And I also want you to just take a few minutes and, and share how they can reach you and contact you or your organization. But basically, the floor is yours to tell the listeners of Wild Black whatever it is that's on your heart to tell them. And oh, I'm Lord, I feel like I should be sitting be behind a pulpit. <laughs> <laughs> and this is Women's Day in the church. There are a lot of things that I could say, but I think that the biggest message that I want to communicate is that I have lived a long enough life and I have done enough things so that I have seen a lot of people and a lot of stuff in a lot of countries. And I, if I can still feel hopeful about the, this world being able to change and about black people doing things for ourselves and making our situation better uh, and turning this ugly thing that is happening around, mm -hmm. if I can still have hope, there is hope. Okay, it does live. And I I want to see that and I'd like to I would like to see this change before I leave. And I'm not planning on leaving anytime soon, but I'm just saying I was gonna say, let's not okay, go no, no, too no, quickly. I, now. I need to stick around. Um everybody must stand where they are. I'm just gonna repeat what some things that I've You're said fine. earlier. You have to stand where you are and do what you can. Mm -hmm. And I believe that all things are possible. You'll never know if you don't try. Right. I never knew I could go to South Africa until I went to South Africa. I never knew I could live through a hurricane until I lived through a hurricane in Jamaica. I never knew that I could go live in a little town in Macon, Mississippi and be able to be accepted in the way that I have been. Mm -hmm. I never knew I'd be able to trace my family history, but I got started and I did. And I now have more than a thousand names in my database. So it starts with a first step, and then the other steps happen. You make one step, 
and it will encourage you to make a next step. You make one change, you change yourself, and then you really can help other people change. You can't change them, but you can help them do that for themselves. And I believe that we are too strong, too powerful, too creative. We just have too many things within us for us not to succeed. So we must embrace that. And I'll repeat the slogan for our Black ancestry, is that you are the dream. And one way for you to understand that well is for you to discover who the dreamers were. And then there's no way that you cannot do this stuff. If they did it, we can do it. I can be reached by going to my website, which is ourblackancestry.com. And there's a contact page, and I actually read the email, and I actually respond. And if it gets overwhelming, some days it, it may take me a, a few days to get back to you, but I do come back to people. Cool. Well, and I deeply appreciate this opportunity because you are one of them brothers. This is what we need. Well, I, a person I, I, with your mindset job. and being able to have these conversations. This is great. I have really enjoyed this. Well, we're going to keep going and growing. Um, Wild Black listeners, there's nothing stronger that I think you can remember from part of what we talked about today than the fact that you are the dreamer. We need to identify the dreamers. Um, and I, I think that by identifying the dreamers, we can help the people behind us to dream even bigger. So there's nothing more I can add to what she said. I hope you all enjoyed this. I hope you took some notes. I hope you learned. And I hope you visit the website, ourblackancestry.com, and go find your dreams and the people who dreamed of you. Peace.